0: We don't tell people we disagree with to be quiet or to stop talking. Instead, we encourage people to wake up, to stand up, and to speak up for the common good in West Michigan. So let your little light shine, be the salt of the earth, and amplify your voice on this podcast. Welcome to Your Opinion.
1: The Common Good, read by me, the author, Lynn Smith. In 1930, the headmaster of the Stowe School in England wrote that the primary purpose of his institution was to turn out young people who were acceptable at a dance and invaluable in a shipwreck. This quote captured my attention because it encompassed the urgent importance of encouraging American citizens to both behave in accordance with a common set of social and cultural values and, acceptable at a dance, and perform their civic duties for community and country, invaluable in a shipwreck. It is in this context that we can begin to pursue a broader understanding of the common good. As citizens of the world's oldest democracy, it has been our commonly held ideals that have long defined us, not our race, not our religion, and not our ethnicity. Contrary to the dribble spewed on right-wing media, America has never been, nor will it ever be, defined by who we've excluded. Rather, we've been defined by our active and often voluntary service toward maintaining the common good in firehouses, schools, hospitals, churches, and in polling places. It's been through our respect for the rule of law our reverence for our democratic institutions, tolerating our differences, offering of equal opportunities, protection of equal rights, participation in civic life, and our veneration of knowledge and truth that we display our love of community and country. This is the bottom line. So I hope you'll read it twice. Americans demonstrate their investment in the common good by focusing on the duties of citizenship rather than the rights of citizenship. We know that we cannot have a functioning society without, a sh- without shared commitments because absent an investment in the common good, we the people will cease to exist We desperately need leaders with the ability to strengthen democratic institutions and increase public trust. So it's no accident that common good citizens vote for the builders and never the breakers. In fact, it is this voting preference and not party affiliation that best explains the election choices made by these invaluable Americans. In a democracy, voting is among the most powerful actions you take on behalf of your community and your country. The leaders we elect are awarded abundant power to provide oversight of our massive government. So they must be intellectually and morally equipped to deliver both solidarity and stability. In recent years, because losers have refused to accept their obvious defeats, citizens have been left with the false belief that even the certified winners have no legitimate right to rule. But because it's a natural part of America's DNA to refuse enslavement by any particular individual driven by a self-centered cause, the majority has not fallen prey to the virulence of misinformation. We must continue to reject those candidates who are disinterested in service and seek only to quench their insatiable thirst for power. On a fateful day in January, as we witnessed our peaceful transfer of power being replaced by gallows constructed to hang a constitutionally adherent vice president, we knew that the common good had hit a merciless shoal. And because one party has completely abdicated the constitutional duties they swore to uphold, it's only the tireless participation of an informed and determined citizenry that will prevent this shipwreck from becoming catastrophic. Thankfully, in our social lives at the dance, Americans are more than acceptable. They are as kind and generous as ever. We support the common good during health emergencies, during national, natural disasters, and through our donations and volunteerism. We shovel our neighbors' walks, pick up their kids from school, and deliver spaghetti casseroles when they're ill. We've opened our hearts to those who are not like us, and in doing so have become a more inclusive and welcoming society than we were even a generation ago. But we need to strengthen our fight against bigotry. And we need to behave more respectfully when we disagree. We need to protect and honor the truth by using facts and logic to combat lies. And on a daily basis, we need to refocus on the acts of compassion that rarely make headlines but constitute much of our daily lives together. It's not bad luck that we're living through the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. Rather, it's a privilege to live during a time when our actions have immense consequences and we have a unique opportunity to display American common good, not only in our country, but throughout the world. The moral fiber of our society has been weakened by cowardly and amoral leaders but it has not yet been destroyed. Two thousand and twenty four is your year to become invaluable.
0: Thank you, Lynn And good reading that was a that was a great reading. So you write quote, "As citizens of the world's oldest democracy, it has been our commonly held ideals that have long defined us. We've been defined by our active and often voluntary service toward maintaining the common good, and that through acts of common good, we display our love of community and country. And so I wonder, how did you come to believe in the idea that love of country and community was rooted in the common good?
1: Um. Certainly, I was raised that way. Um, starting with uh, from a macro or a micro standpoint, love of community. To me, my community is an extension of my family, my circle of friends, and you treat each other as you would like to be treated. It's the golden rule. It's. Um, the book of Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's those intersections between all of the great religious traditions where we know that we can all benefit when we love each other and we're careful with each other and we're kind and occasionally even strategic, uh, with each other in terms of our treatment. In terms of country, um, in terms of country, when I'm writing, uh, when I'm researching, I think of those young men in Normandy uh, 75 years ago who with their bare hands climbed up a rocky cliff uh, in the, on the shores of France and Normandy and were picked off by Nazi Uh, Nazi riflemen. And they did it because they believed they were fighting for a bigger cause. And that sustains me. My my father and my father-in-law, like So many of my relatives fought in World War II, and they were certain that they were making a contribution that would benefit generations of not only Americans, but people around the world. And I think of their commitment every day. And for me to write a column is minuscule, minuscule in comparison, but it's something that I can do. You make a point
0: of emphasis in an opening paragraph, Um, quote, this is the bottom line. So I hope you'll read it twice, or in our case, listen twice, uh, saying, Americans demonstrate their investment in the common good by focusing on the duties of citizenship rather than the rights of citizenship. Why did you want to stress upon duties of citizenship rather than rights of citizenship?
1: Well, again, it goes back to 75 years ago where much of the world was engaged in sacrifice, in sacrifice. Uh, they were rationing things like we did in our country. American citizens were handed out a sugar book, which, which the contained coupons for various uh, sundry items like sugar, but also like rubber, like gasoline, like women's pantyhose uh, made at that time from nylon, all things that the war effort needed. And they believed strongly it was their duty to pitch in. Now, it seems 75 years later, we have forgotten that kind of sacrifice, that kind of collective Duty, and we think more in terms of me than we do of we. I think the world would be a better place, certainly our country would be, if we focused more on we. Elsewhere, you write in a democracy,
0: voting is among the most powerful actions you take on behalf of your community and your country. The leaders we elect are awarded abundant power to provide oversight of our massive government, so they must be intellectually and morally equipped to deliver both solidarity and stability. We must continue to reject those candidates who are disinterested in service and seek only to quench their insatiable thirst for power. How would you encourage a voter to be more involved in this democratic process?
1: Firstly, voting is a magnificent honor. It's the day that that we are all equal. We all have the same opportunity. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Joe Biden or Lynn Smith or an 18-year-old in college. Um we all have an equal amount of power uh, in voting. And I love the thought of that. It's truly a level playing field. And I don't know why anybody would pass on that amazing opportunity to, to join a level playing field of voters. Having said that in a democracy, we are uniquely able to elect our leaders. This is such a privilege to be able to look at not personality. We shouldn't be focusing on personality. We should be focusing on policy. In fact, I often recommend that people set aside photos, uh, even names, and just look at policy positions and start to look at it in a new way and say, wow, uh, this is a policy I really believe in. I feel strongly it would benefit our country. And then after you've decided your preferred policy positions, then you pick the candidate that best matches your values. So it takes some time to do it properly. But to quote Thomas Jefferson, a well-informed electorate, electorate, pardon me, is critical to maintaining democracy. We can't do it without information. And information leads to, I think, really constructive voting.
0: And finally, Lynn, quoting, it's it's not bad luck that we're living through the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. Rather, it's a privilege to live during a time when our actions have immense consequences and we haven't, unique opportunity to display American common good, not only in our country, but throughout the world. The moral fiber of our society has been weakened by cowardly and amoral leaders, but it has not yet been destroyed. 2024 is your year to become invaluable. Lynn, I wonder, looking back to January of 2021, referencing, um, the, the the riots at the, the US Capitol. Did you think then that you would now have this much hope and sense of purpose in the future?
1: No. Candidly no. Uh, when I when I wrote about that day being a shipwreck and knowing that we were going to have to become invaluable citizens. That was a call to arms, and not only for Lynn Smith, but for you, Nick, for every certainly everybody that's listening. For millions and millions of Americans, we received on that day a new call to arms. Now, some of us express that differently than others, as is our right. But I have learned so much I in the last 3 years I've watched so much and tried to become more informed so hopefully I've become developed a broader perspective and I like challenge I like the idea that People will be reading about this time in 75 years, like we're reading about the greatest generation now Um, in World War II. People will be reading about us, Nick, you and me, and again, millions of others and the way we behave during this time. And I like the challenge of that. And I like joining arms with millions of other Americans that share our intentions.
0: Thank you so much, Lynn Smith, for writing and uh reading this piece to to our listeners.
1: It was my pleasure, Nick. Thank you for inviting me.
0: If you want to be a voice for the common good in West Michigan, please send a written document with a minimum of 300 words and a maximum of 750 words to votecommongood.wm at gmail.com with the subject header of opinion. Writers must state clear opinions or points of view and support them in their submissions. We reserve the right to edit or reject any piece if the writer fails to do so.